for the week of January 31st, 2021. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we're continuing our Clone Wars and Rebels rewatch with Season 1, Episode 13 of The Clone Wars and Season 1, Episode 12 of Rebels. And to start with, we're going to review The Clone Wars Jedi Crash. In it, Jedi Anakin Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano are sent to aid the overwhelmed Ayla Secura. John, what did you think of this episode? I thought the first half of this episode was fantastic. The The back half was more about the, the morality of pacifism and, you know, the, finding a new culture. So it slows down a bit at the halfway mark, but the beginning of this episode is relentless. Like it is, it, it just, they come out running, they don't stop for like 10 minutes. And I was just really digging it. I, I thought that it was a fun and novel battle, you know, with the ship basically falling out of the sky and they're trying to figure out how to get on it while they're being swarmed by droids. And Anakin does this selfless maneuver of trying to hold back the, the explosion and force them through the, the blast doors. There's, there's just a lot of really good moments in this opening set piece. And it, it goes a step further. Just when you think they're done and they can breathe a sigh of relief, their ship malfunctions, they're off into hyperspace. They're about to fly into a sun and just like, it just is relentless. It just does not stop. And, uh, I just thought that was great after the last episode, which was more pirates and backstabbing and Dooku and just a lot of talk. This one was a whole lot of action to remind us that we're in the middle of the clone wars. And that was working for me. And the Jedi fortune cookie greed and fear of loss are the roots that lead to the tree of evil. So this episode with that kind of going in, I guess it's, it's really diving deep into just the, Fear of losing Anakin is a, is a part right. of it with this kind of sacrifice. And then there's a literal tree that, that we see in this episode. <laughs> um, but, but it kind of, once again, always sets up the overall message here. But I really like that this episode spends some time in that first half, like you were saying, really exploring Anakin's spontaneous decision making. Mm-hmm, right. And then also ultimately explores the importance of Ahsoka Tano. I mean, Anakin would have been lost for dead if she doesn't go back and cut a hole in the, you know, in right. the blast doors to save him. And then to continue to uh, try to convince Ayla Secura that no, we need to save Anakin. Like, I understand that there's this whole Jedi code and thing, but we need to save Anakin. Right. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a couple seeming lessons in this. One is, you don't forsake duty, right? Like you're not going to leave a bunch of other people high and dry because you are emotionally attached to someone that reasonably should be considered a lost cause. And that's, that's reasonable. Like in, in war, you don't like go back for one guy. If it means that 10 other guys are now going to be hung out to dry, like Mm -hmm. you're, you're not helping anyone if you do that. So, uh, you know, there's a lesson there, but at the same time, if there wasn't some sort of love motivating Ahsoka, she wouldn't have had that impulse that also saved Anakin. So I don't know if there's really a point being made in this episode. Like they try to make a few and they also, you know, the, the, the space meerkats also, you know, are are preaching pacifism. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, but I'm not sure really what one we're supposed to be agreeing with. I don't think it really spells that out, which is okay. Sometimes just leaving people with something to chew on is okay, but I didn't quite figure out exactly what the right answer to all this was. 
Yeah. And so the way I took it was because it was, there was a few kind of references to it. So number one, we have Ahsoka that, you know, of course, Ayla Secure is reminding her, you know, remove attachments from your heart and that, you know, attachments, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. The same thing we've been hearing from the Jedi Council since episode one. And Mm -hmm. Ahsoka, you know, starts questioning it and she has these these questionable approaches like okay well if we remove attachments then at what point are we just these mindless things that don't <laughs> do anything because we don't care about anything and so i kind of viewed this as and i don't know how you know how much feloni was guiding the message of this episode but i would assume since he gets you know a writing credit and oh, uh supervising directing credit of it that this was kind of his thing Mm-hmm. We know his opinion on Qui-Gon from season one of Gallery and ha- the importance of uh, right. Qui-Gon's approach. And we get a lot of that here because, like you were saying, the space meerkats or the the Lerman, they questioned the Jedi as well. It's like, you guys claim to be peacekeepers, but right. you are taking in these wartime methods. And that kind of shows that, like, what Ahsoka's pushing back on, like, yeah, I get it. We're helping the Republic, but... The Jedi were founded as peacekeepers and we right. shouldn't be getting involved in, in all of these, you know, wartime approaches. And so I that's kind of where I found the most meat in this episode that yeah. made me like it, even though I think the Lerman are extremely cheesy characters. Uh, if we ever <laughs> saw them in live action, I would think that I would start questioning what I'm watching. Sure. But they're like like I was saying before, there's just so much meat and kind of the morality of what the Jedi are doing. And that's yeah. how I digested this. Okay, so I think you helped codify some sort of notion in my mind about what the takeaway is. So it's not that the Jedi philosophy is necessarily bad. It works for Jedi. To not have attachments, it's a good way to stay on the light side because you don't have things that can pull you towards the dark. So great. The Jedi code, that's fine. The problem is the Jedi didn't follow their own code. Mm -hmm. They got duped into participating in this war. And the more they get sucked into these you know, it's sure it's galactic wide, but it's someone else's squabble. And the more they take ownership of needing to defend a position that may be indefensible, the more they really can't hold to their own code. So they're, they are going to be at odds with their own code because they may not spend a lot of time thinking about it, but yeah, they're, they're being hypocrites. You can't be truly, you know, a, a peacekeeper and, uh, you know, an adherent of the light side and only use the, uh, force for defense, never for attack. Like, you can justify a lot of things, but sooner or later, you're just one side of a war and mm-hmm. you know what? It's no longer self-defense. And um, yeah, you're, you're right. That's the point that's underscored here is that uh, it's not even necessarily that Ahsoka is out of line. It's that the, the Jedi as an order is out of line. And so now they're coming into conflict with their own philosophy. And it, it does kind of show also that Ahsoka is never going to be a hundred percent truly adherent to the Jedi code. You know, these are those little cracks that eventually when push comes to shove and she has to decide whether she's in or out, (laughs) she's out. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is also something that she makes a comment in season two of Rebels where she's just like, yeah, guess what? I'm not a Jedi. And and this is how she kind of starts entertaining us. And this for the same reasons that Qui-Gon isn't on uh, the Jedi Council is because he keeps questioning a lot of these things like the Jedi aren't supposed to be this. And this is what we're doing. We should not get involved in this. And it's so nice on this side of Mandalorian after we've seen Rosario Dawson <laughs> as uh, Ahsoka and just the importance that she's going to play in, in the future of Star Wars projects and to see her being the Qui-Gon Jinn that we wish we yes. would have uh, spent some more time exploring 
it's it's really cool because there are so many people that would you know you have you know on social media i'm a sith sympathizer and the jedi were hypocrites <laughs> and all this and it's like right. yeah they were and yeah. that that's kind of their downfall that's and, the point yep and also a lovely narrative that connects to the last jedi where luke uh, realizes the mistakes that they made and brings that up to of course ray and is just like the jedi are never going to come back because this is what the jedi were and then of course he comes to terms and like you know what just because that term Jedi is associated with this generation of Jedi that made this mistake, the Jedi still at their heart are these galactic peacekeepers. And that's ultimately the the beautiful path that that uh, Luke Skywalker returns to and the path that, that Rey takes moving forward. So even before any of this was even, I think, in the minds of <laughs> people of Lucasfilm, they explored it here in Clone Wars in a really nice and pretty consistent way yeah there there is a, a fun through line a, a fun consistency because as, as we know like sure lucas thought a lot about what was motivating qui-gon and those little little tiny bits of conversation he had with obi-wan that illuminate the fact that he was far more of a purist and an adherent to the true jedi way and it was the order that was slowly losing its way that's all there for for people that really want to dig deep but the point is really made in Luke Skywalker at the end of Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. when it comes right down to it, he's not going to fight. He yep. throws away his lightsaber. He is a pacifist. He says, look, this, there's ultimately there's nothing good I can accomplish by attacking. Sure. It's seductive. You know, it's the obvious thing to do, but no, I'm going to hold myself to the higher standard. And, you know, I am a Jedi like my father before me. And, and he's basically the first Jedi in a generation to get it right. To kind of remember what it, it truly means to adhere to, to the light side of the force in the vein of a Qui-Gon. And so that's very interesting that you can now dovetail all of what we're seeing in, in this smaller fair with the point that's made in a very grand way at the end of Return of the Jedi. So yeah, there it is. I, I think I just needed another person to bounce these ideas off of for it to click as to really what they were trying to say. But I think I think you cracked the code. And of course, there were a few callbacks if you dig as deep as we just did in this episode. But one of the obvious ones is Anakin's respirator that he has for a little portion of this. I mean, obvious decision making to make it sound exactly like the respirator that keeps him alive for the long Mm -hmm. run. Uh, So I had a lot of fun just kind of hearing that noise and thinking like, okay, I see (laughs) what you're doing here. Lucasfilm and Filoni. Good job. But kind of just my because this sets up for this little arc of story that we're going to get in the next episode of Clone Wars as well, is just the approach of the Lerman. They are, like you said, truly pacifists. And I know that Wag 2 gets, he starts questioning his father's ways a little bit in the next episode. But this one, he's still just like, you know what? We're not going to kill these giant bird mastiff Falone things. We're going, like, <laughs> right. I'll keep it from killing us, but I'm not just going to shoot it because it's trying to attack us. Um, so a lot of stuff there where uh, the episode kind of ends with the, the Lerman healing Anakin, but yet we still understand that there's this, uh, there's this present danger as we see the Separatists starting to come into the atmosphere of this planet. Right, yeah. Now, these guys may be pacifists, and they may have found a nice little haven where so far they haven't been drawn into it, um, but there's going to be tough decisions to be made. And so that's interesting because we're, we're really talking about, well, when it came right down to it, were the Jedi able to hold on to their high-minded ideals or did they end up in the mire? Mm-hmm. And so we're going to, you know, we're going to revisit those kind of themes too a little bit. So it, it is interesting what they're setting up is as much as 
you might put the Lerman kind of at the level of like the Ewoks as far as characters that are maybe just a little too cutesy or a little too maybe like docile to be in Star Wars. Like there's, you know, these aren't Wookiees. <laughs> these aren't, these aren't, uh, creatures that are, are gonna, you know, be the fan favorites. Uh, but obviously thematically, you kind of want them to be a little bit more demure and seemingly helpless. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, th- I think this episode is trying to, uh, punch above its weight a little bit. It's trying to say a little bit more thematically than maybe you give it credit the first time you see these characters and think that they're kind of a, a very simple throwaway culture. But hey, we'll we'll find out uh, you know what the future holds for the Lermans. And I have one more comment because I made this earlier in the episode where I said that these are kind of ridiculous characters, and if I saw them on live mm. action, I would question what I'm watching. Sure, but a very uh, vivid picture just popped into my mind. We just watched a full like two episodes of the Mandalorian where a frog was a main character of it. So if they could convince me to watch a frog for two hours of my life <laughs> and not, and be okay with it, I'm sure that if they ever brought back the Lerman, that would be, that would be fine. Cause it, I, sure. cause I was thinking about how they moved and they kind of roll into these balls and we just watched a little frog hop right. around everywhere and, <laughs> and the Mandalorian. So who knows what Lucasfilm can do with their uh, with their characters to make us buy into it? But uh, overall, I love the message of this episode of Clone Wars. Yeah, yeah, they're they're setting up some very thought provoking quandaries for our characters, and uh, you got to respect that. Um, something that I said a lot when we were doing our rewatch last year is I'm always surprised at how hard Lucasfilm always tries to turn out an episode that's a little bit smarter than what you'd think typical kids fair should be. Mm -hmm. You know, not only do they want to push the envelope with just how visually strong their shows are and just the production value and the, the sound design and even the, the voiceover work, like they, they really try to make top notch productions, but they don't pander. They they don't try to be simplistic. And sometimes when a character needs to die, a character needs to die and they don't always shy away from that either. And so there is something, there's something a little brave about these kind of storylines where you could lose a good chunk of your audience that just doesn't care about pacifist rodents on the space Savannah. And they go for it anyways, because it's the, the themes that are kind of central to star Wars and they want to play with those themes and, you know, expound on them and, and tell the kind of star Wars stories that are going to ring true. And um, that's easier said than done. Cause it's easier just to give people a lot of whiz bang action. And uh, just never try and shoot this high with your episodes. But they do. They do. And uh, you got to give them credit for that. Well, one other episode that kind of goes deep into moral issues and uh, mystery is Rebels Season 1, Episode 12, Vision of Hope. And in it, Ezra receives a Force vision, which reveals that Gal Travis knew Ezra's parents. Mm -hmm. Now, this episode is really one of many that will explore Ezra Bridger's force abilities that we thought in 2014 or 15, whenever we were watching rebels that we would never get (laughs) a, a real look at this and that it didn't really matter because this was on a cartoon and who cares what happens here. But now I think it's becoming more and more uh, real that we may get a yet another exploration of Ezra Bridger which adds so much importance. And I think this is really that first step in this Filoni verse where we get Ezra's importance because of course he gets a very vivid force vision of mm-hmm. this Senator who knew Ezra's parents. So he's getting visions into the future of a conversation that he would have with Gal Travis. And 
really fun that we get this nice moment between Ezra and Kanan where he sees this vision and uh, Ezra thinks he missed all the targets, but Kanan's like, Oh wait, no, you were like in, you were in like your mm-hmm. own little world here. You're you hit zone. all of them. Yeah. So that's kind of my big takeaway of this episode is just what the future uh, holds for Ezra. But yeah, this uh, let's start with a fun moment between Kanan and Ezra and their training. Yeah. So what's interesting is star Wars has always used visions as a way of tripping up the characters. I don't think a character has ever had a vision that didn't lead them astray. And that was a lesson that Yoda tried to teach Luke. You know, he said, always emotion is the future. You know, you, you can't just fly off the handle and run away to try and save your friends over this vision. Cause honestly, you just, you don't know what you're messing with here. Like, you don't, you don't understand what you saw. You, you could be walking into a trap. You know, you're not ready. And all of that holds true here too, where we even see the vision first person. So we might think, well, it's pretty obvious. You know, the guy's just talking about knowing his parents. And obviously this is a, uh, a friend of the, the rebellion. And you think you understand it because you've seen it first person in vision mode here. Mm-hmm. But obviously, as the episode plays out, you realize that context is everything. And that was a lesson that Luke learned the hard way. It's a lesson that Anakin very much learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a lesson that Ezra is learning the hard way. So thematically, this all tracks. You know, this is what impetuous young Jedis always get into trouble with. Well, and then, of course, we have the Padawan who became a Jedi, Kanan, who Mm -hmm. who did a lot of his training on his own after he escaped Order 66, who understands that as well and tells Ezra, like, hey, dude, be careful with what's going on here. Like, it it may not be exactly what it is to the point where he says, hey, don't take it too literally. And then Ezra takes it too literally. And um, (laughs) and we see it. And it's fun because. We kind of get that in episode three, right? Where Anakin gets a first vision of Padme and then, but we see it change as well. So as Anakin pursues the path of trying to save Padme, we see in the next vision that Obi-Wan's there and that mm-hmm. he, you know, that Padme's in fact dying and there's a little more being, the vision is being added to as Anakin is pursuing this path. When in this one, we just see it um, play out in front of us. Right. So we see, of course, the vision and then it, it play out in ways and it, and it kind of shows how it, this wasn't a manipulation of the force. This was just mm-hmm. for some reason he was only getting so much in clips that everything played out exactly how he thought it would. But it turns out that the the Empire and Travis were working a little bit too closely. Right. And and they're trying to show in a visual way what is effectively pure emotion. Right. Like, and that's what Yoda says. He says, always emotion is the future. Yeah. So, you know, they need to find some way to present that to the audience. So they're showing you something tangible, something visual. But what you're really supposed to be taking away is what is Ezra's impression? Like, what is he feeling? Mm-hmm. Not what is the truth of the scene? Because the scene is just basically serving the feeling that Ezra's having. Like, that, there's, there's something very, theatrical about what they're doing there. And it's hard to explain how you convey something that's meant to be pure emotion through theatrical means. Um, But that's what they're attempting to do. And the point is made because even though the feeling of the future that Ezra gets is one of connection and that's what he craves, right? That's his weakness. When, when he goes to the temple to get his Kyber crystal, Mm-hmm. he has to come to terms with the fact that it's it's the fear of loss and the fear of his family and the and the 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 fear of being rejected and and um cut astray that that really is his his weakness and so of course 
that's the emotion that's going to lead him astray. And that's what he's getting here too. any, anyone that even mentions a connection to his parents. Well, I'm not going to think I'm just going to pursue it yep. because I'm, I'm driven to emotionally. That's what you're getting from all this. And that's why he can't really clearly understand the context or, or understand what the vision means because he's, he's pulled emotionally by how he's feeling about it rather than anything rational. And of course, you know, visions are not rational. They're all emotional. And, <laughs> and here we are. And yet it's the non-force wielder, Hera, who once again is a step ahead of everything. She understands sure. that there was something really uh, sketchy about how the <laughs> Empire was able to spring their trap so quickly and how Travis is just always out of breath while we're running through this tunnel. It seems very convenient yeah. that he's always out of breath. And so she's the one that in a way ends up saving the day and causes Ezra to learn that valuable lesson of Oh yeah, my emotions are a little uh, too intact. And then it also forces him to become closer with the crew of the ghost because now he's starting to realize like, you know what, maybe I won't find anything out about my parents, but I have these other, uh, this, this crew here that is pretty cool as well. And maybe I should be more focused on protecting them because I just put them in a tough situation. Right. It's going to give him pause next time he has a vision or next time he's super gung ho thinking that he's reading a situation correctly to not uh, get distracted with what he wants a situation to be, but to look at it for what it truly is. Mm -hmm. Because if he had been watching the senator, he was giving signs the whole time. Like there is everything that seems too convenient. Yep. Uh, his hints seem too obvious. The fact that he's, he's probing them for information, right? And, and Ezra's giving it to him that I remember like the first time I was watching this. I was thinking, oh, wait a minute. No, no. Even if you think this guy's a friend, you don't tell him how big your organization is. Yep. You don't give away valuable intel, right? Like you got to be shrewder than that, even if you think this person's an ally. And of course, you know, mere moments later, the truth is revealed. So yeah, this was a an important lesson for Ezra to learn at this point that things aren't always as they seem. And again, that's something you hear a lot in Star Wars. So very, very fitting that way. And he definitely learns his lesson is in an easier way than Anakin and Luke. I mean, they True. both they both lose some limbs over their right. lesson. Yes. Um, so yes. Ezra came out with all of his limbs intact. And so he was able to learn his lesson a little bit easier. Right. So much exciting episodes coming up in Rebels. I'm excited to see where this goes because season one, of course, is a little more chronological than season one of yeah. the Clone Wars. So I'm excited about this, and I hope that our listeners join us next week in our continuation of The Clone Wars and Rebels. But until then, John, mm -hmm. where can the people find you? Well, I cover Saturday Night Live on a podcast called SNL After Party, which you can find on YouTube at SNL After Party or in all your podcast apps of choice by searching for SNL After Party or at snlpodcast.com. Uh, this week, SNL is live. They have first-time host Dan Levy, who is Eugene Levy's son, so he's comedy bonfide. Uh, he's going to be hosting. He was on Schitt's Creek and he's got a bunch of other stuff going on. So he's kind of uh, having a moment and uh, SNL is going to capitalize on it. It's going to be a fun show and uh, we'll be covering it this weekend and we hope uh, people will check out the cast. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk dot com. You can find the rest of our episodes online at Star Wars TV Talk dot com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to subscribe. You can find the TV Talk Network at tvtalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you, always. <laughs>